Hello, everybody. Welcome. You guys can probably hear me just fine, right? It's kind of loud. Um, welcome to this session, uh, first one after our great plenary. It was kind of fun to see how that's going to maybe dovetail with some of the stuff I'll be covering today as well, because God is good. So we're going to talk about the role of nurses in missions. First off, of course, it's always best to pray. So I love this um, verse. Uh, for anybody, I'm from California, so that is the Sierra Nevada right there um, up near Mammoth, if anybody likes to ski. But I love the mountains. I was born up in the mountains, and I'm a mountain girl. So in Psalms, when it says, I will look up to the mountains, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so... Let's pray together, and then we'll get into our content for today. Oh, Lord, we just thank you. We praise you. You are a great and mighty God, and we just thank you for bringing us here safely to this time, this place. Thank you for the message that we heard earlier from their plenary session, and for each person here, Lord, whatever it is that you would have them hear and touch their hearts, Lord, Uh, May I just be that conduit and reflect your love and your glory for all peoples. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We just want to glorify you in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I have to remember to speak into the microphone, so I'm doing this. Okay. So, who am I? Well, (laughs) I'm a nurse. I've been, I'm old, I've been a nurse for over 30 years, I have three grown kids and six grandkids, maybe some more might be on the way soon, anyway, um, but my background is PICU, CVICU, all the high tech stuff, I got to do transport, ECMO, Um, it was always fun going out on transport in uh, the area where I was working in a tertiary um, children's hospital, we'd go out on helicopter transport out to pick up people, um, kids at you know places where they didn't have access to good care, and the um, person on in the front flying the helicopter would say, oh, by the way, we're getting into an area where they like to take pot shots at the helicopter because of the lights, and so just so you know that. You kind of go, okay, Lord, that's great. I'm just going to rely on you, and my, I'm not going to tell my husband until I get home that that's the case, because <laughs> he might worry a little bit, but I am in the palm of your hand wherever I am, and so um, those are some great memories. Then in the last, oh, 12 years or so, I have switched over to more of a community development um, portion of my life, if you will, going out and working in communities, working with vulnerable populations. Uh, For those of you that might be familiar with community health evangelism, done some of that training as well, been able to implement some of that. Also, faith community nursing is used to be old school was parish nursing, right, where you work with your church and you do some health outreach within your church and let that church be part of um, the evangelism too. And then I get to uh, take students overseas a lot. I usually go at least four times a year. Um, now in this current part of my life, and uh, we have an academic side where we take them, um, and it's tied into some courses, and then we also have a mobilization side under our Office of Spiritual Life, so I get to do both of those things. The task is a little bit different, if you will, but the focus is the same, bringing the good news to unreached people groups. So that is a little bit about me. 
Um, I'm a Pete's nurse. My kids always uh, tease me about why do you have all these pictures of kids? And because aren't they adorable? Yeah, of course. So that's a little bit about my background. So our objectives that were listed um, on the uh, website for you, look at the importance of providing evidence-based holistic care from that biblical perspective and what does that look like, and then what are some techniques that we can use to meet that spiritual, physical, and emotional um, needs of all peoples, and again, that's that holistic perspective. This was a time when I was in Uganda. Lots of fun pictures. I'll probably describe the pictures more than what might be on the slides. But uh, we were in Uganda, and that was one of my first opportunities to serve overseas. And it was something that was different because they bring all of their own food. They bring all of their own blankets. They bring almost everything. Um, And in some places, like in India, they have to purchase their medicine before that medicine can be given. And so that was kind of an interesting perspective with my background, having worked in the PICU for so long, and everything's just down in Pixis, right? You just go grab it out of there. Of course, 30 years ago, we jury-rigged a lot of things because it wasn't always in Pixis, um, but and made things work out. You younger people, you have so much technology and fun toys that you get to work with. However... If you end up going overseas, you may not have all those bells and whistles that you currently have. And so it might look more like this. When they found out I was a peds nurse and I could start IVs really well, holy moly, man, did I get to start IVs um, because I was really good at it. And they were a little uncertain about the IVs in the head, right? In some Asian countries, that might be a no-no because in Asian countries, they might feel like the spirit of that person um, will escape, because they're animistic. We'll talk a little bit more about worldviews as well in a little bit. But the long and short of all of that is that we're all called to live missionally every single day, no matter where we are. And we, as nurses or other healthcare providers or whomever um, might be in this room right now or watching, um, we have that opportunity to sometimes get into places that other people can't go because of our discipline. So that's pretty cool that we can get perhaps behind closed doors, into those communities, um, establish that trust, pray with patients, and provide holistic care. So again, sometimes our role might look a little bit different than it does here, and we're going to be talking about that. We get to take care of the physical, the spiritual, and emotional needs of persons um, around the world. I was talking, I'm an advisor for um, some of our DNP, uh, Doctor of Nursing Practice students, and we were talking about that idea. She's really struggling spiritually and emotionally. And we know as providers that you can't take, I can't take my emotional and spiritual side and put it on a shelf, right? It's part of who I am. And so if the spiritual or physical piece is a mess, then chances are everything else is going to follow. And that's where she was really struggling. Well, think about when you go overseas, a lot of times especially um, their spiritual self, whatever their belief system is, whatever their values are, it's entwined, even sometimes more entwined than here in the States. In the States, sometimes people do put their Christianity up on a shelf. I go to church on Sunday. I'm a good Christian. But then the rest of the week, maybe eh, not so much. Right? But in other places um, where you might serve, it might look a little bit different. So we get to use that discipline to be that the hands and feet of Jesus. 
and we can, again, live missionally every single day. We can show honor and respect. And I don't know, when I was in China and I was doing some teaching there, I asked them what, how they defined honor and respect, and they said, well, they're the same word. So in their culture, they're an honor-shame um, culture. That was very important to them. They honor their elders, right? In our Western culture, we don't often do that very well. So we get to show that honor, respect, care, compassion, all the things that you learn about in nursing school. And when we just heard in the plenary about making disciples and how important that is, healthy disciples make healthy churches. So again, we all get to be part of that no matter where we are. And remember, church isn't a place. It really is, or an event, we sometimes make it into that, but it is the people that we get to interact with. And, <clears throat> excuse me, as nurses, we have extra tools in our toolbox to be able to do that. So that first thing, you guys, some of you got a handout. If you didn't, maybe look on someone nearby. Um, the first thing, no, you're not going to, I do have my students in my classes fill papers out and they get to submit them for points. But you don't have to do that. It's just there if you want to. But <clears throat> think about what is your purpose? You can jot down a couple thoughts just for a moment. Why are you here? Why are you here for such a time as this? Think about that. Is it to be a nurse? Is it... What is it? So whatever you, whatever came to mind, kind of hold on to that. Um, at CBU, where I teach, we talk about living your purpose all the time. That's like our motto. Live your purpose, find your purpose, and we really do focus on that. Because as a missional person, and you all, because you're here, are missional people, you get to live your purpose. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. People are going to look at you and say, something's different about you, even here in the States. I remember when I first got my job at the Children's Hospital, and I was looking around going, okay, I don't know anybody here, but there were three people that were different. I knew they were believers. They were different. They were set apart, um, just like we heard in the plenary. So my purpose, I've shared, I'm a peds nurse, so my purpose, one of the things is to care for the vulnerable, for widows, orphans. Now I've kind of added the widow's piece a little bit over the years. Um, but that is my purpose, beautiful children, and, um, but the vulnerable populations. Again, as a nurse, we get to take care of the vulnerable, wherever the Lord puts you. I think about, even here in the States, what's one of the first things we take away from a patient when they get admitted to the hospital? Autonomy, food clothing. So if I'm from a culture that's very modest, and you've just taken away my clothing, and I am a female, and I only want a female to take care of me, that's a problem. I've now taken away some of that dignity by making that patient strip down to a lovely hospital gown, right? We also take away their food. How many of you are foodies? First off, we'll start there. That would be me. How many of you in your own background 
food is very important in your home culture, right? So my background is Jewish, actually. Um, my grandmother, uh, good old Jewish grandmother, eat everything and then have another helping and then another helping. That's probably why I love food. Um, I guess it could have gone the other way as well. But, but food is very important to people, and we take it away from them. You're NPO because you're going to have surgery. You're NPO because we have to figure out what's wrong with you, right? So when we think about human dignity and honoring our patients, even something simple as taking away their clothes and or their food here in the West, so how do we figure out when we're traveling overseas and serving overseas, whether it's short-term or long-term, we have to understand that culture and what's important to them. And then we can do a better job of honoring them in that situation. So we think about um, what our plenary was talking about last night as well, caring for those vulnerable peoples and how important that is. So let's look at this particular passage, Psalm 67. Here is God's purpose, and we heard again this morning um, about the biblical basis for missions, and I'll be touching on that a little bit as well. But in Psalm 67, we can really see that played out. God be gracious to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us. And Salah is like a pause and praise. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. Let the peoples, notice it's plural, the peoples, all ethne, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the people with uprightness and guide the nations of the earth. Isn't that beautiful? That is God's purpose in poetry. All nations, all peoples. Do you see how this nicely outlines what we just heard in the plenary session? All people will praise him. So here's another question for you to think about. Why did you go into healthcare in the first place? Did you feel called? How many would say, I felt called? Okay, a lot of us. Um, how many would say, I want to help people? Okay, good. You're in the right place. <laughs> um, I can get a job anywhere. Anybody? That was me. I did say that. Um, care for the vulnerable. Okay, we've kind of talked about that, so some of you there. Was there something else? Anybody else have other reasons they went into nursing? Make a difference. Make a difference, absolutely. Tool for ministry. Tool for ministry, absolutely. It was my gift. It was your gift. Amazing. Anybody else? So I have a quick, um, another question. It's not listed up here. How many of you are in nursing school right now? I wondered. Yay, you guys are going to take my job. Replace me someday. Woo-hoo, we need you. <laughs> I'll be aging out soon. Again, I'm old. Um, so, yeah, that's great. How many of you are practicing in a vulnerable population here in the States? Okay. So a few of you. How many of you have practiced overseas? Okay. Um, Short-term, how many have mostly done short-term? Okay. How about long-term peoples? Okay. Yay. Thank you. All right. 
Thank you. That gives me a sense of kind of where we are in the room as well. So when we think about why we, were, why we went into healthcare in the first place, some of you did say that you felt called. Um, I have a friend. His name is Jeff Lewis. He wrote a book, um, God's Heart for the Nation. It's like a Bible study thing. And he talks about what he phrases as the big C and the little C for the called word. So often um, we mix up the two in his perspective, and I tend to agree with him. He says that, okay, I'm a nurse, and that's my big C. That's my big calling, right? But is that right? Should it be that the big C is I am called to follow Jesus? That's the big C, And the little c is, I'm a nurse, and I get to use that to follow Jesus. So I think, um, again, I personally agree with that perspective. You might have a different perspective, but I think the big C is, we were called to be followers. We were called to do what our plenary was just talking about, to go and make disciples. Oh yeah, and I happen to be a nurse, and I can do that too. Right? So then our job becomes more of the little C. It's still important. It's tools in my toolbox that others may not have. But the most important thing is that I follow Jesus. So here's another question for you. You can tell I'm a teacher, right? Um, so, but to kind of help you reflect. And part of understanding what your role is, is reflection. It's that self-reflection Why am I here? Um, And one of the things I didn't uh, mention that I probably should have, one of the main purposes of why we are all here is to glorify God. That's our main purpose. We were created to glorify God in everything that we say and do. That's the main focus. And we sometimes get off track from that because we're so busy. Those of you in nursing school, nursing school is hard. They can't possibly train you everything that you need to know, but you'll get there, right? You're going to pass that big, fat, gnarly NCLEX test. It's a big safety test, really. That's all it is. They can't possibly prepare you for everything. Because what if you go to India? What if you go to rural Tennessee and you've never had that experience before, right? But they're going to do the best they can, and you guys are going to make it. So that was my other soapbox. But what would you say that your primary role is in nursing? Is it to care for the emotional or intellectual needs of people? Is it spiritual needs? Or is it physical needs? All right, well, raise hands, because that's what I do in class. So, emotional, raise your hands if you think you're supposed to take care of the emotional needs. Awesome. And it's to keep you guys awake. And what would you say about spiritual needs? Is that important as well? And physical All right, so I'm preaching to the choir. If I do this in a regular class at a university, that's a lot different response that I would get, right? Most people would say my primary focus is to take care of physical needs. Now, I happen to be blessed and be able to teach at a faith-based university. I get to talk about Jesus all day long. But even when I wasn't, when I was um, doing some management work in the hospital, I could talk about spirituality all day long. Right? Because that is holistic care. And there's research out there that shows, even from the secular world, that if we address those spiritual needs, 
your patient's outcomes are going to be way better, right? So when we think about where do we see ourselves, that is what we're talking about. Claude Hickman wrote this great book. Um, It is called, let me see if I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, Yes, Live Life on Purpose. He talks about the fact that we fit into this lovely mosaic of the Lord and that we were created for the journey. So hence the picture up there. And when we think about Ephesians, where it says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, that's what he's referencing. And when we think about that workmanship, each one of you has amazing gifts and talents that make you unique. And God will use all of those in, again, wherever it is that you end up. And we're all traveling on this journey. We're created for the journey to use all of those um, things. I also like the analogy. Some people like mosaic. Some people like a tapestry. So think about a tapestry. You look at the front side of the tapestry. It's beautiful. Right? What does the back side look like? It's a... Yes, it's a bunch of knots. It's a mess, often. So we might only see that backside as we're going through life and life's happening. I sent an email to my students last week. Life just happened in my family. My husband fell. He fractured three ribs and has a pneumothorax and a hemothorax. Life happens. Guess what? We're not having class today. (sighs) That's the messy part of the tapestry. Thank you, Jesus. They took him into surgery. He got three titanium plates and some screws, and he's doing much better after they did a VATS procedure, for those that know what that is, and chest tube, all the fun things. Yeah, so, but God is good, and life is messy, no matter where you are. That same kind of thing could happen in Thailand, or wherever it is that you might be. So, we're all part of God's plan and picture. Oswald Chambers, a while ago, said this. um, God does not have to come and tell us what we need to do. He brings us into that relationship, and I can hear his call. Again, big C, call to follow him and understand what he wants me to do. The fact that you guys are all here shows that you're listening to that still small voice. You might not have figured it out yet, and that's okay. There's tons of people over in the exhibit hall that will help you with that process if you haven't figured out yet where you want to head and what you want to do. And, of course, the Lord will guide. When people say they have a call to foreign service or any particular sphere of work, they mean that their relationship to God has enabled them to realize what they can do for God. So that, I think, is super important. So we need to remember God's our compass. Now, he doesn't give us a map of every single day of what we're going to do, right? But he is that compass, that true north that we can follow and listen to. He'll direct our paths. So, next little thing on your handout. What is his plan? What do you guys think? For a moment. Take a moment. You can either jot something down or just think in your mind. I know everybody has their little smart devices. Take some notes. What do you think of when I say, what's God's plan? You can talk to your neighbor if you want to. Yeah. 
So what were some things that came to mind when you think about what is God's plan? Anybody? It's quiet. Go and make disciples. Yay, what we just heard earlier in the plenary. So what did he say? You have to, number one, go. Number two, make disciples, right, of all peoples, all ethnic. That's right. So that is God's plan. has been from the beginning. He very nicely outlined all of that for you, beginning in Genesis. So the gospel, share the gospel. And I know, again, preaching to the choir here, you guys know this. Um, the good news is proclaimed to all peoples. It is a free gift, and we get to be part of that um, journey. It's the theme of the whole Bible. So we have the gospel message, right, goes all the way through, but missions is part of that uh, message. So it is partly also the teaching and revelation of God. God is holy. I'm not, that's for sure. Make all kinds of mistakes. Um, But Jesus lived that perfect life and offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. So the gospel proclaims that kingdom. The kingdom has come, right? The Jews were waiting. They thought the Messiah hadn't come. Uh, From that Jewish background that I have, Grandma said, nope, Messiah hasn't come. One day I thought, yes, he has. Because my mom had been sending me to the church down the street. So, yeah, the church, the, the Messiah had come. So there was a little clash there um, going on when I realized, no, Messiah has come, Grandma. So we get to proclaim that. And so the kingdom has come, and the kingdom will come again when Jesus returns. With that, Again, with the plenary, we're building up to that exciting time. He could come tomorrow. I'd be fine with that, too. But it doesn't look like he's done yet. So. Isn't it interesting that he emphasized this particular verse in the plenary as well? The gospel of the kingdom will be presented and preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's pretty powerful. So, back in 1974, um, anybody taking the perspectives class? It's a great class to take. If you haven't taken it, um, you might want to consider they have a booth out there. There's another newer course that talks about these same types of things um, that I am actually part of the curriculum development. And um, what perspectives might miss a little on is the health and shalom piece. And so there's a new course out that I can give you more information about that's similar biblical basis for missions, but we talk a lot about culture. We talk about strategy from a health perspective and restoring shalom. But when, in 1974, Ralph Winter and Donald McGavern introduced this idea of hidden peoples or people groups that was just talked about earlier, um, again, he wasn't, they weren't referring to just countries or that kind of thing that we associate that with. But, again, people groups is the latest language. So Jesus himself was even pointing to all ethnicities, language, and families during his time. Because when he talked about it, um, that was what this particular reference was. Isn't that a beautiful picture? My friend took that. You'll notice some of these pictures are from places around the world. These are some... um, They call it, it's in China, I'll say, I can't tell you where, because we call it the Pirates of the Caribbean, because it's way far away and it looks like that. And so, um, but it's in a place we can't talk about, but yeah. So our God is a missionary God. And what 
the plenary just was talking about, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people. And this starts um, again in Genesis 12. He talked about uh, Genesis 11, where in um, Babel they had built that giant tower trying to be so amazing. And then God said, and scattered them all over the place to all the different languages. So this is right after that. That's when he picks Abram out of a polytheistic society. So the seat of Babylon and all the religions um, come from that area. Picked him and says, I choose you um, to be part of my chosen people. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So those that have taken perspectives, there's often that focus on I am blessed to be a blessing. That is part of this particular passage. So when we think about God, he is a living God, and Abram was blessed to be a blessing. We are part of that family. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's our role. That's the big C, bigger even than the role of nursing is to do that. So again, that biblical basis is... Um, God is active in our human affairs. In some uh, worldviews and religions, they feel like, well, maybe there's a God out there, but he's really far out there. I might not be able to have a personal relationship with God um, because, you know, he's, he's way out there. He just kind of unfolded things and, yeah. Um, some Jewish faith tradition, that's kind of where they land nowadays. But, again, Jesus, or the Lord, called Abraham to leave his home. There's the Go. Go. Even back in Genesis, go, leave this place where you're comfortable, your comfort zone, so that you can be a blessing to others. And that is the first great commission, is to go right there. So God's glory, I mentioned we are created to glorify God. Um, He's the reason for the mission. Interesting, uh, John Piper back in 2008 said, missions exist because worship doesn't, whether you agree or disagree with that statement, um, is interesting to ponder. So do we have to go because people aren't reflecting that glory? Yes, and maybe, right? But it's an interesting perspective. Even here in the U.S., as we see the rise of atheism here in the U.S., it's already happened in Europe, and... um, It's interesting. Are we not glorifying the Lord and so people don't see what is going on around them? I think about um, when I was in St. Petersburg, we went around and looked at the cathedrals, beautiful, beautiful buildings, and almost none of them are places of worship anymore because, again, the rise of atheism, people are not glorifying the Lord based on their faith. So, however... We get to come alongside God in what he's doing. Our work is to continue the work that God began until it's complete. ties right into what our plenary was talking about, right? Until the, the work is done. So remember when we were looking at Psalm 67, we were created to glorify the Lord. So we're to praise him, we're to worship him in all things. And that includes being on mission all the time. And we get to continue that work, like I said. So how do we do that? That's your next little thing if you have a handout. How do we accomplish this plan? So you can talk to your friends. It's okay. 
We'll talk for just a little bit, see what you guys come up with. And for each of you, it might look a little different, right? Some of you might want to go to India. Some of you might want to go to Thailand. Some of you might want to go to downtown rural area and work with HIV people, right? Homeless. What does that look like? I only have one, but yeah. If, if it's yours, I don't think. No, it's okay. Just, I don't remember. Let me make a note on what I have on here. Are you on I'll just use this. Let's see if it's going to be a problem. No, 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 no. Um... did you guys come up with about ways to accomplish his plan? Or did you just talk about breakfast? I'm not sure what happened there, but no, I'm kidding. Um, so what were some of the things that came up in your great conversations I saw going on? How do we accomplish his plan? Yes, you've been um, called out. <laughs> I just said, uh, with like obedience, so taking a step forward and allowing him to direct you, so take a step forward, and then he will direct you, right? And be obedient. And be obedient. Ooh, that lovely word, obedience. <laughs> <sighs> Let me just share a quick story. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. About Jonah. You guys know Jonah, right? Okay. When um, <laughs> obedience <laughs> makes me think of Jonah. So, you know, the Lord came along and said, hey, Jonah, go do this. And what did he do? Was he obedient? Nope, he went the other way. You know what? Me and Jonah, I'm like this. I get Jonah. There have been so many times in my life where I heard the Lord say, go do this. And I said, no, Lord, I don't want to. And I ran the other way. Um, hopefully I'm older and wiser, but I doubt it um, some days. But the, um, I'll give you a couple examples. So 
I went into nursing and said, oh, Lord, I could never handle pediatrics. It would be too hard emotionally. So what did I do? I worked with kids for a little while. And then the Lord said, nope, you need to be over in the peds. Oh, no, you need to be in ICU, not just pediatrics. Are you kidding, Lord? Really? So then I was there for 25 years. Okay. So other things that, you know, the Lord does want us to be obedient. I knew I wanted to get my master's degree, so I kind of plotted along and figured out where I should do that. But then the doctorate came up, and I said, oh, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. And in there somewhere, I had a desire to go to serve in Africa. Oh, Lord, I always wanted to go to Africa. Right? Anybody who feel like that? So I was able to do that. I was able to go to Kenya and Uganda. Thank you, Lord. But, Lord, I have no desire to go to Asia. Please, 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 please don't send me to Asia. <laughs> right? Run in the opposite way. I go to Asia at least three to four times a year now because the Lord has a sense of humor. Right? Same thing with my doctorate. Oh, Lord, I don't think I want a doctorate, but you want to teach full time? Hmm. Okay. So obedience is definitely important um, because I can hear that still small voice and then run the opposite direction and be all, mm-mm, Lord, mm-mm, can't make me, nope. But then the Lord often keeps reminding, keeps reminding, keeps tugging on your heart. Um, when I started, so I was, gonna, I was teaching at a different university. I was teaching at Biola University in California, and I thought, okay, Lord, this is where you have me. And then the opportunity for advancement into a position for peds, of course, closed. And I went, what? Lord, I thought this was where I was supposed to be. Why, what is going on here? And um, so then in my doctorate, two gals that were working at CBU, Cal Baptist, said, oh, you, you've gone overseas. We send students all the time. We send 300 students every summer for service projects. We, you should come and teach with us. <laughs> I said, where's CBU? I've never heard of CBU before, right? So again, it was, and they worked on me from 2008, and I didn't start for two years after that because I kept saying, nope, nope, can't do it, Lord. Mm, 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 can't make me. So now I've been there 13 years. <laughs> um, so never say never, that obedience piece and being able to, <clears throat> excuse me, accomplish his plan. It wasn't my plan. I didn't even know where CBU was, Right? I did not want to go to Asia. I've been to India, Cambodia, Thailand, dot, dot, dot. Because the Lord is amazing and has a plan that's way bigger than I could ever imagine. So, thank you for sharing that. I went down a tangent, but I think it does illustrate that um, we have a tendency to sometimes run the other way. But the fact that you guys are here shows that you are listening and then taking that next step, whatever that might be, is that obedience piece. Who else said something different about how to accomplish his plan? Anything? So if we're operating in that every single day, in that care and that compassion, we will see his work. Casting out demons, 
um, living and working in that spiritual realm. I'm going to talk a little bit about what that might look like as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I know you had other thoughts. So our responsibility in all of that is kind of what you were just saying. We have a responsibility to proclaim the good news, just as John the Baptist did. Um, It's called the gospel of the kingdom for a reason, because it reveals the kingdom of his grace, which leads to his eventual return and the kingdom of glory. There is a sense of urgency. Did you guys catch any of that urgency in the message earlier today? Now, I had no idea what he was going to be talking about. Isn't that interesting how the God works all that together? Of course. Why am I surprised? Um, but he was talking about that urgency. And it might be that Jesus returns in our lifetime. I don't know. Of course, God could take me tomorrow. But some of the young people in here, right, that could be what happens. That's pretty cool. So that urgency is also why we need to be obedient and doing this every single day. It really is our responsibility. Sometimes um, we have this sense that just the preachers are supposed to preach. Anybody read the book, Preach and Heal? Usually Chuck Fielding presents in this room. I don't think he's here this year. Um, But there's a book called Preach and Heal. And in that, Chuck talks about the fact that the preachers are the ones going, yay, God, let's go, let's go do our thing. And the healers are doing their thing over here. When in reality, they're together. Jesus was a healer. Did you catch that? Will said that earlier this morning, that Jesus was a healer. He cast out demons. He did all the things that you were talking about. And we get to also do that. Again, with that holistic care, when we think about that, um, we get to share the gospel message. Now, some places, some of you that have served overseas might not be able to share the gospel overtly. So when I was in St. Petersburg, we couldn't share the gospel overtly. So we did lessons on character traits. right? And we modeled that, those behaviors, for the people that we were working with. So and then they, they do that same thing like I was talking about earlier. There's something different about that person. What is different about that person? Why do you act that way? Um, I just heard a story recently about that happening, where the Lord opened up all these doors because people were different, and now they're allowing um, Christians in to do regular, standard work. But as believers, they're getting to be able to share the gospel message when, for the last 10 years, they could not. So sometimes it changes the hearts and minds. The Holy Spirit is always at work. So, what does God want us to do? Exactly what you guys have been thinking about and maybe wrote down. Care for people. Go and share the gospel with lost people. We need to worship God. Again, that um, saying from that John Piper wrote, missions exist because worship doesn't. And that made me, the first time I heard that, I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I agree with that. But then I thought, am I really worshipful in everything that I do, Lord? Mm -mm. My husband is acting a way I don't like. Am I worshipful? And by the way, he's fully recovered, well, mostly recovered from his uh, procedure. He's got his back-to-work orders, so we're good. Thank you, Jesus. Um, But people get on your last nerve, ever, right? Yeah. Is it easy to be worshipful in those moments? Not so much sometimes. So am I really worshiping him? I get to minister to families, whether it's in my church 
whether it's in, and I'll, um, he didn't bring up this morning Acts 1-8, uh, Jerusalem, that we get the spirit from, uh, power from the Holy Spirit. For our Jerusalem, that might be where you're going to work. Our Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, right? You're all going to be somewhere practicing, showing love and compassion. So wherever that is, you get to do these things, wherever God puts you. For such a time as this, right? Esther was in the right place in the right time. Nothing is wasted, whether you're here, whether you're over there somewhere. So um, sometimes what we see in our church is that maybe only one of these things might be emphasized. So thinking about, oh, we've got this great program for families. Okay, but what about the other stuff? That's important too. And so as a faith community nurse, I can maybe bring in some of that holistic care in my church community here in the U.S. or overseas, right? So I can maybe address that because the overall mission, as we've been hearing um, the last couple days, is to make disciples. And part of that, um, we think about, is that easy? Is it easy to make disciples here or anywhere? No. There's, um, Beth Moore did a great study on Daniel And um, she talked about the fact that when the Babylonians came and they took Daniel and his friends into captivity, we can get very complacent just like they did. And she calls it, um, do I have it down here? Friendly captivity. Am I making compromise in my faith based on the culture and the rules that are going on and things that are changing because we are just travelers. We're sojourners, right? This is not our home. This world is not my home. But we need to make that um, change and that difference. So that really is important. When we think about making disciples, what were some of the attributes of Babylon that you guys um, remember? Opulence, yeah. There were these seven beautiful hanging gardens and all kinds of cool stuff, yeah. Were they very nice people? There was sacrifice. There was all kinds of practices for many deities. We're going to talk a little bit about worldview and deities in just a little bit too. But the practices there are very similar to the U.S., So if you do a comparison of Babylon and the U.S., we're not that much different anymore. So just a thought to put into your head when we think about how can I make a difference, how can I be worshipful and glorify God in everything that I say and do. After the Good Samaritan, now some of you might be too young. Anybody recognize this person? So after the story of the Good Samaritan, um, we see what really God wants us to do. And again, we see go and do likewise. So this guy has said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, of course, gives that story. Go touch that untouchable, basically, right? Because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. Anybody touched the untouchable? So when I say untouchable, what comes to your mind? What comes to mind? 
Leprosy. Yeah. Leprosy is still out there, guys. It's yeah. What else comes to mind with untouchables? Caste system. Yeah. HIV. COVID. The frequent flyer patient. Yep. Oh, they're just drug seeking. Can I tell you that they thought my husband was drug seeking? Because he got seen by one person on Mondays and he got tramadol, and on Wednesday he got seen by, well, he was discharged from the hospital by then, and they were giving him oxy, and oh gosh, he must be drug seeking because it's been three days. No, he had a VATS procedure and a thoracic surgery, and da da da. Yeah, anyway. But yes, we do have this mindset of certain untouchable patients. Again, vulnerable. Aren't they vulnerable? The quote unquote untouchables. So when I was in India, um, we had a team of students. We went to what's called the Seva Ashram. It's a place where they pick up dying, literally dying people up off the side of the road, take them to the Seva Ashram. And uh, they almost all have TB. A lot of them have HIV as well. We're scooping up and just loving on the little kids. This one gal had three kids. And at the end of the week, the mom is just sitting there with her mask on, um, watching us all week. And at the end, she said, why are you touching my children? Nobody has ever touched my children before. Wow. Go and do likewise. Care for the untouchables. I would also posit, if you will, that that code brown in room five, (laughs) have to say it, nobody wants to go in there. With HIV, when HIV first came out, most of you are too young to remember that. Nobody wanted to go in those rooms. We literally would, okay, here's your tray, and people wanted to just put it outside the room and not go inside and put that in there. And back then, we didn't really have as clear protocols, if you will, for donning and doffing like we do now. Now COVID really brought that up as well, the donning and doffing. I would say, actually, Ebola brought up donning and doffing first because they were struggling with that. And because of, of... Burial rituals with Ebola, for example, people were dying after taking care of a dead body because they were getting Ebola from the dead body because they weren't using PPE. So we have untouchables, whether it's in our hospital units, whether it's in the ICU. We have a caste system here in the U.S., although we don't admit we do, right? We have the homeless. We have the frequent flyer. We have the whatever, fill in the blank. So mental illness, yes. Anything related to a stigma, Right? And patients won't self-disclose sometimes because of that. So we need to go and do likewise. That is our role. Again, that's the title of this session, right? That is our role, is to care for the untouchables, those that have a stigma, those that nobody else wants to touch. So we have a great command. I think on your... Um, list. You might have some of these scriptures listed. You can look them up if you want to. Of course, you don't have to. Um, So the first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. Love him with your whole being. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we not only have the Great Commission, which starts back in Genesis, um, not Matthew 28, although that's part of it too, but we have this great command to love God with your whole being. Looking at that, one of them, that expert on the law, tested him, 
Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So again, when we think about the Samaritan story, that was huge in that culture for someone to reach across. And um, our plenary speaker was talking about hostilities between different people groups coming down. We're not quite there yet. But there are villages. I think about a village in Thailand. So we, uh, there was some community development that was wanting to occur. So the team went to the government and said, where can we go? They said, oh, you see that village up there? It's nine miles in, and there's only a dirt path to get there. So go there. Okay. So on motorbikes, on rainy season where the trail pretty much washes out, went into the team, uh, went into that area, There were no believers at first, and then a few people came to be believers. Well, the shaman or witch doctor was not happy because in that culture, it's animistic, right? So they worship spirits, the the spirit doctor or um, shaman, uh, again, whatever label you're using, um, had power because anybody that was struggling with spiritual things would come to him, and that person would perhaps have control over spiritual things. Well, now all of a sudden, this Jesus spirit, that's their words, not mine, and this Jesus spirit, you need to take your Jesus spirit out of here. Your Jesus spirit is too strong. So the villagers that didn't become believers went to the shaman and said, you need to get rid of those people that are believers. They had already moved them to the side of the village. It didn't quite kick them out, but they were close. And so the shaman did his ritual stuffs and sent some spirits over to terrorize the um, people that were believers in that one household. They were all gathered together. And reportedly, the spirits came back and tormented the shaman and said to the shaman, we can't get up the stairs. Now, it's a village that has houses. um, They're not on stilts, but you have to go up some stairs to get to the main living area. We can't get up the stairs because there's three men in white on the stairs, and the middle one has a long beard. Okay. So when we think about spiritual things, we don't often acknowledge that here, but overseas, that's part of their daily life. But our God, our Jesus spirit, is bigger. We were walking through another um, part of the village another time, and we were prayer walking because we're supposed to love all peoples, as this verse says. These verses, all of those verses have, have to do with that. And there was this gal up top of her little stairs, and she was shaking a stick and doing this up on the stairs as we were walking through. Well, she was very agitated that we were praying. She was a shaman. Our Jesus spirit was more powerful, and she could feel that as we were just walking through the village and praying. So when we think about our power that we have, that authority, that all authority for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth, we have his authority, his power, I have nothing to do with me. I kept telling the students, keep praying, keep singing. That spirit is agitated. But our God is bigger than that. So we get to minister to the whole person. In this verse here, um, do you guys know where this passage occurred when he um, was talking to the people here in Luke 4? Probably not, so I'm looking it up. 
Yes, that would be fabulous. She's going to read it for us. So he went to Nazareth, that's where he was, and he read from Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, and he read about the Spirit of the Lord is on me, being anointed to proclaim the good news. We get to do the same thing. Freeing prisoners, restoring sight for the blind, and setting the oppressed free. Again, as nurses, that's our role. Some of you might work in prisons. Some of you might work with other vulnerable populations, the mental health department or area in the community or in the hospital or overseas. Um, reminds me of a book. Has anybody read The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down? Okay. When you think about, again, spiritual things and how we classify people, uh, it took place back in the 80s, again, before some of you were born. But... Um, a patient that was a, a Hmong patient from uh, Asia came and had seizures. In their culture, seizures are a good thing. <coughs> In our culture, that's a bad thing. We need to fix it with phenobarb or all those things. Well, the family wouldn't give the kiddo the medicines, and bad outcomes occurred. So when we think about, okay, we need to help the oppressed, but we also need to come alongside people and understand, why is it that they're not taking that medicine? Do they even think that germs cause their disease in the first place? Maybe not. So when he's talking to them about some of the things that he says, he's been anointed, you have been called, Big C. We get to preach the gospel to the poor, to the vulnerable. We get to heal the brokenhearted. We get to proclaim liberty. We get to help recover the sight of the blind or other types of things. You know, technology, while it can drive me crazy sometimes, it definitely has been good in some ways. 15, 20 years ago, my husband would not have been able to get plates, titanium plates, placed on his ribs. We just didn't have the technology for that. My doctoral student who had COVID <coughs> and now has long COVID and lost her vision a couple weeks ago um, from vascular changes uh, wouldn't have been able to get two lens repairs if we didn't have technology. So technology can be good. But again, if you're going overseas, you might not have those types of technologies and bells and whistles. But it comes back to, and this was one of the objectives that we were talking about, this idea of shalom. So in the Old Testament, shalom is, um, we think about peace. That's our usual translation. The New Testament, it talks about Irene. That's the same word, but in the New Testament. So these are all things we get to do as nurses. We get to try and ensure tranquility. Even in ICU, the very first thing that I would do when I was working in ICU is go in and organize everything, right? Because, of course, the day shift, I was a night shifter. I love night shift. Um, come and talk to me if you don't want to go to night shift. It's awesome. Anyway, um, the, uh, 
the it's tranquility. <laughs> but I would go in that day shift, didn't know how to organize the way I need to be organized, right? But it really did help with peace and tranquility in that room because then I knew where everything was, if that patient needed something. Um, we want to improve quality of life, right? That's part of what we do as nurses as well. Um, perhaps rest. We don't always have to know the right things to say. There are a lot of times. My area of research is actually end-of-life care. And so there's a lot of times when it's, it's okay to be quiet. It's okay to have a few tears with that family as they're going through a really rough time. So, again, safety. What did I say about NCLEX? Big, fat, gnarly safety test? There's some of you on both sides, yeah. Um, that is probably one of our number one roles, if you will, <clears throat> especially in the hospital setting. But even in the home setting, I think about um, people that have maybe use a walker, that kind of thing. You need to make sure there's no rugs in their homes and, and be careful with that. I think about the families in that village in Thailand. They live upstairs, and if they have mobility issues, how are they Where's their, what's their latrine situation? Do they even have a latrine? Is it open defecation wherever they might be? And so that could be the case. I think about justice and all of those things that we get to do as nurses. <clears throat> so here's that word that was brought up in our first, um, in the plenary this morning, that panta ta ethne, so all ethne, God did promise Abraham or through his seed that he would bless all the nations. And so we get to, again, be part of that. So here's some other verses that have to do with the mandate for the nations. Um, would someone be willing to look at Mark 16 for me? Matthew 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's not just for the preachers. It's for the preachers, the healers, it's for everybody. Whatever that looks like. Thank you for reading that. All right, Luke 24, who wants that one? Did I see a hand? Oh, thank you. the Messiah will suffer and rise on the third day. Repentance will be preached in his name to all nations. Right? That's the focus on that one as well. Acts 1.8, I've already shared that one. You'll receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, you're probably the most familiar with. Again, all authority has been given. So do you see in Acts 1.8, we've been given power, and in uh, Matthew 28, we've also been given power and authority to go and make disciples. And then John 20, um, someone want to look up the John 20 
verses. So again, we see the Father sent Jesus. Jesus is sending us. And we have that same, he breathed on them. He gave them his power and his authority in that um, piece as well. <clears throat> so living missionally. We've been talking quite a bit about that. told you a few stories. Here's a couple more stories. Looking at caring for people holistically. That first picture up on the top, that was at that Seva Ashram, um, the same one that I had shared about. So where they had scooped people up off the side of the road that are literally dying, they get to hear the gospel and perhaps uh, make a profession of faith. And then if they get better, again, most of them have TB, but sometimes there's other things as well, then they are taught a trade before they're able to leave. They have to also participate around the grounds and help clean, and they learn how to give back and um, find a, a way to make a living when they get back out on the street. So it's a pretty cool program. This gentleman on the top, however, had a wound. So what happens sometimes overseas in situations where I could care for a wound and it would get better, overseas it might not. So this particular wound had indurated, right? So it went in, and there were maggots crawling in and out of that wound. So Matthias, the um, volunteer from Germany, was laboriously taking each of the maggots out every single day. Once a day, he would do that. Now, oftentimes, the practice in that particular country would be different. The practice would be to pour gasoline over a wound um, to get rid of maggots and do that cleaning that we might do with something else. Um, but because it was in his mouth, they didn't do it for obvious reasons, hopefully. Um, they were picking the maggots out manually. Well, by the time this poor gentleman had gotten to the seva, um, he was pretty far gone. That induration had gone all the way up into his brain. He did not survive. But again, something that if we had caught it here in the U.S., you would think, oh, yeah, that could be fixed. But what's going on in there is, okay, I can't fix this. When I was in Uganda, we were doing, we were supposed to be giving out worm medicine, and we ended up doing quote-unquote wound care. All I had with us um, was some gauze, we had some hydrogen peroxide, and some water, and some tape, and that was about it. So we'd see some wounds, um, and we'd pour the hydrogen peroxide over it. That's fun. Right? All the bubbles. And then clean it with some water, clean it, and then put the gauze over. That's all I had. And there were kids, same thing, indurated wounds, that I would look at those wounds and I would say, there is no way we can fix this. Because the nearest hospital or even a clinic is hours and hours away. But what can I do in that moment with that person? Right? And I can love them. So that care and compassion that you guys were bringing up earlier, I can love that person with the love of Jesus in this moment. That might be all I can do. And perhaps I can pray as well. So, again, another story. When I think about praying and what we've done in some of these places, we were doing a, a CHE model where you tell health stories, you tie it into scripture, and then um, have them repeat back stories and do some other strategies with CHE training. So we were telling them, they were doing some intervention for women, 
and we were doing health lessons for women only. And you have to know in certain countries their understanding of time is a lot different. Um, so we said the training was going to start at 2. Did it start at 2? No, people started trickling in about three, maybe four. Anyway, so we started our health lesson when we had a quorum, <laughs> so to speak. And then we, um, we did the health lesson on um, female things. And then we talked about the story of the bleeding woman and told that scripture. Now, you can also combine that sometimes with henna storytelling. Anybody familiar with henna storytelling? It's kind of fun. So you draw the story that you're telling in henna on their arms. So there's, um, and I can give you more information about that if you're interested. There's booklets and stuff out there. So you learn the pattern that goes with that particular story. You tell the story. Does this have anything to do with nursing per se? Not so much. However, kind of expanding your view that sometimes you're doing other things. But it's all holistic. So we're telling the story of the bleeding woman. We're doing henna on the lady. She's going to go back to all her friends in her little area and tell them the story. Oh, really? The story from the gospel is going to go out. Anyway, kind of cool. So she comes up to us afterwards and she says, I'm that woman. I've been bleeding, bless you, for a very long time. Oh, what are we going to do? <laughs> we looked at each other and said, well, we can't fix this either, but we can pray. We can show her love. Hopefully we've already been doing that for a little while. So we prayed over this lady. Guess what? She was yes, she was healed. Again, praise the Lord. I had nothing to do with that. That was all God. So often, if you do short term, you may not always hear the after effects of that, we were teaching CPR, for example, in a community in Cambodia on the boats. They live on boats. They're boat, boat people. They have no home at all, and other than their boat. And so we were teaching CPR. In their culture, if a child, again, my, my people, the vulnerable population that I love, if they fall off the boats, then um, they let them stay there because in their mind, the spirit will stay in the child. Um, that way. Well, of course, we know that the child was around. So we taught them CPR. We taught them to pull out the child if the uh, child falls into the water. So we found out later, after we had come back to the States, that one of the ladies, three-year-old, had fallen in and was drowning, or about to. She pulled the child out of the water. She went against her culture. That was huge. Because most times that won't happen in this particular culture. So she went against her culture, and she pulled that kiddo out. She performed um, some minimal invasive CPR, and the child was fine. So, again, that was the Lord using us to do some CPR training, which you think, ah, we've done choking training, we've done all kinds of things that might not fit into your idea of hospital nursing. There's opportunities for hospital nursing, don't get me wrong, overseas as well. But... My experience in the last 13 years has been more in that community setting, and you can definitely make a huge impact in the community. Keep them out of the hospital, right? Nobody wants to go to the hospital, not even here. So the other picture down below, um, we went and intervened with some, well, I don't know if intervened is the right word. We um, worked with some street kids, literal street kids. They live on the street. They have no schooling. We would round them up, take them back to a location, and do some schooling. They were the squirreliest kids I've ever worked with in my whole life. 
and I'm a peds nurse, <laughs> and I have kids and grandkids. Um, so they were really squirrely because no one had ever trained them on how to sit nicely in a little circle to do some activities. By the end of the week, they weren't squirrely anymore. And we'd been able to show love and do Bible stories, VBS type stuff. So again, sometimes living missionally looks different than what we might have thought. It might not look like what we are thinking it should look like. So he brought up earlier in the plenary this idea of areas where um, the unreached live, if you will. And a lot of them are in what's called the 1040 window. So we see a big area of Islam and Hinduism, Buddhism, and what some people would say non-religious, although they might self-identify as Buddhist. When I was in China, they would say, oh, I'm Buddhist. Well, what, are your, what do you do for your practicing your faith? Oh, nothing. So it's more of a cultural religion, if you will. You'll notice it's hard to see on the picture, um, but Islam goes all the way down into Indonesia and Malaysia. Indonesia is actually one of the biggest areas of Muslim believers. So, kind of interesting. And then there's a little green area by Hinduism. That's Bangladesh. That's where I was this last summer. So, that's the unreached, the majority of unreached peoples that have never heard are in that area. Majority. And we know, we just saw, like, if you look down at the displays down there, there's a display that talks about health disparities. So, we have... Even here in the U.S., if you never go overseas, if you just worked in the underserved areas here, we still have really bad outcomes, maternal child outcomes here in the U.S., and we have all the bells and whistles. What is up with that? So we can, of course, make some uh, changes regarding that. We've uh, heard some about NGOs that are going into organiz- into um, places, but again, we still have some problems. Even covid illustrated some of these disparities, right? So we saw, for example, in New Mexico, um, some of the Native population, Native Americans, did not have good access to care. And because they were way out in remote areas, they were dying of COVID because they couldn't get into a higher level of care. There weren't enough ventilators. There weren't enough beds, even. So that was huge. And then we also saw that in our African-American population. We saw it in many Um, People of color, a lot of those populations were hit super hard with COVID because of uh, health disparities, right? So if you think we don't have a caste system here in the U.S., I would challenge you to say, yeah, we do. And this is what illustrates that, unfortunately. So like I said, the World Health Organization and the United Nations have been trying to make a difference. Um, There's the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, if you're working in community health or public health, those are pretty... um, good standards to look at. But as we look at NGOs and doing good things, we don't want to create dependency. So, unfortunately, um, there's another good book for you guys if you're interested. It's called When Healthcare Hurts. Uh, The author, Greg Seeger, is downstairs at his booth, (laughs) Um, actually. So he's a a great resource for that. But in his original version, which I think there's a new version that just came out, um, a new edition, there's stuff that goes on in Haiti, as we know, all the time, right? People go down there and help out, which is great. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. However, we have created some dependency in places like Haiti. Because so many NGOs have gone in and fixed them, then their own people are not being empowered to do the work. So ideally, you go in and you do some stuff, but you help the nationals to take over so that when you leave, they can carry on the work without you, 
right? You're not there to, to save the day. We get the savior complex of here we are to save the day. Mighty Mouse, for those that are older, wouldn't know who that is. And, or heroes, right? Heroes. We're all about heroes in, here in the U.S. No. We're coming alongside the work that Jesus is doing. Let me back up just for a second. So here is an interesting illustration. I'm going to turn my back for a little bit for you guys to see. Some of you might have seen this. I'm not an artist. So when we think about um, how God is working, and you can decide to write, to color, draw as well if you want to. There's God. Yay, God. Whoops, that's not right. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's always fun to do this in front of people. Yeah. All right. There's God's plan, right? So let's look at... Uh, I'll just put this this way. I'm not doing a very good job of this. There's you or me, right? There's us. I'll help this make sense in a minute. So, God's work is up here. Okay? So there's God's work. Um, He's going to establish a relationship with us. So that's right here. And he's invited all of us to be part of that plan. That's the invitation. And then God speaks to us in some way. You're here, so God's speaking to you today. If I could draw better, that would be... Uh, person kneeling, but I'm not an artist. And maybe it's a burning bush kind of situation. There's my fire. Or a flower, I'm not sure which, but... Okay. So there's the um, opportunity where God speaks. There might be what's called a crisis of belief, and for those that have uh, read the book, Experiencing God, um, this is right out of that material as well. So... What are we up to? Number five. So am I going to go? Am I going to stay? Where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do? Are you going to be like Jonah? Are you going to be like me? Nope, not going to do that, Lord. I'm running the other way. Mm -mm, Can't make me. Um, And then you make that decision, if you will, and you adjust whatever that might look like. And then number seven is what was brought up earlier, obedience. And there's me. Does that make sense? So, God's plan is carrying forth regardless. But we get to be part of what that plan might look like. So when we think about, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to help in some other place, what does that look like? 
Write down on your little piece of paper if you have it or if, um, think about three global health issues that we're currently dealing with that you think are important. They can be big, they can be small, they can be tied into some of those health disparities we were talking about a little bit ago. some of the health issues that you guys have come up with? Shout them out. So accessibility, okay. Can I repeat what? Um, accessibility, like we talked about earlier with minority type groups, right? Okay. So Two different categories here. What else? What are some other things? Malaria. Malaria. Thank you. Okay. Famine. What else? Addiction. What else? Just put NCD on my list. Okay. What else? Sorry? Mental health issues. acceptance of behaviors. Can you expand on that? Like when I was in Uganda, it was very acceptable for men to have multiple wives mm. and then give them HIV. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a good one. Yes, they think that's how HIV spread. When I was in Uganda, we were in Tororo, which is where the cement factory is. And so the men would come to get the cement, but the factory wouldn't be open until the next morning. So the women in the neighborhood would sell themselves because they needed money. And because of the multiple wives and that and other promiscuity, that's one of the ways that HIV spread because they would go back out to other countries, not just Uganda. What else? Any other health issues that uh, burning in your mind? Yeah. Mandates. Mandates. Like... You can't get together with your friends and family or masks and those types of things? Yeah. Yes? Okay. Just want to make sure I understand. No judgment. Okay. So, let's see. Mandates. So what? I'll come back. Hold on to me. Okay. 
People perish for lack of knowledge. Why do you think I would be doing this exercise? What do you guys think? Not yet. So um, we could go on, and normally what I would do if I do this in a group is I pass out the index card or the little cards and have everybody write down their top three. And then I collect them and put them into categories. But because there's lots of you, um, I decided to do it from up here instead. So it's called the 10 seed method. It's used in different places around the globe. Um, CHE training, they'll sometimes use it. Other community um, development programs will also use it. So I'm going into an area, and I come in and say, well, what I think should happen is we should build latrines. So we have up here clean water here, but nobody addressed defecation or anything like that. So that village that I was sharing about in Thailand that was nine miles in and you had to walk, maybe a motorbike would work. It, there's another village another 10 miles down in, and another village another 10 miles down. So we were only at that first village doing some work. And the first team that went in there said, well, we, we'll build you some latrines. Did the elders want the latrines? Mm -mm. They said, and let's see, do we have it up here? We have, I put malaria and um, uh, NCDs, the diseases, together. I put cultural acceptance of practices that was brought up. Famine, different mandates, accessibility, clean water, um, knowledge, a lack of knowledge, domestic violence, addiction, and mental health. I kind of put those together, and then spiritual needs. Well, what the... Um, community identified was food. Food. They didn't have enough food in their village. They didn't care about latrines. They'll just keep doing what they're doing, at least for now. And so food was a bigger concern for them. And finances and being able to support themselves off the land. So things that our team, initial team, had said, oh, we should be building latrines because the government told us to go into that area and improve things. But we had to get buy-in from that community first. So we addressed what they wanted first. So they brought in some eggs and chickens. So eggs and chickens address two things, right? They brought in eggs that could be then sold and or grow more chickens, right? And so food and finances were dealt with with that particular intervention. And then later, would you like us to build you some latrines? <laughs> sure. You addressed our first needs first. Now, there's lots of other things. And that, but that is, the 10 seed method is a great way to get into a community so that you're not creating dependency and so you're getting that buy-in from that group. Would this same thing work in our community here in the U.S.? I'm going to go do some health lessons at the Adult Senior Center. Who should I ask what they want to know? The adult seniors, right? So it's a similar method that you can use across the planet, basically, in different settings. 
Same with your, if you're working in the hospital setting and your manager comes and says, what education do you guys want? What in-services do you need? You go to the staff and you ask them. Yes, there's going to be mandates. Wound care has changed. We have to grade everything based on wounds and all that. But what do you guys need? And we'll address that as well. So it's a really effective tool when we think about um, ministry and going into that area. And every area might have a different focus. So we really need to think about that too. So being able to have that perspective is really helpful, but you have to respect that culture, that custom. And so what you brought up about multiple wives um, is across the board. My Muslim friend that I went to my doctorate with, um, he was amazing, and I learned a lot about the Muslim faith tradition from him. He said, um, I could have up to four wives as long as I can support all of them. Oh, good to know. I didn't know that you had to be able to support them to have them. Um, so a lot of cultures around the world, that still is uh, an understanding we need to try to figure out how to navigate that. So what does this look like? What does what we've been talking about look like? Does it look like balloon animals sometimes? Yep. I always, I don't have balloons on me all the time anymore because it's a little harder to get a hold of them. But these are my kids when they were younger um, making balloon animals. Do you see, even balloon animals, do you see how close they are to those kids? They are showing the love of Jesus to those littles just by making a balloon animal for them. I do also, um, if I don't have balloons with me wherever I go, I always have stickers or something to give out to the kids. Again, Pete's nurse, can't help it. Um, But it also might look like this, right? Going into people's homes and praying with them. Now, we can do that in the hospital setting sometimes, too, here in the U.S. It might be a little bit more of a challenge, and if you're not comfortable with that, we do have chaplains and other people that can do that for us. But it might look like this when you go into people's homes, and they say, come and sit down, and because I'm one of the old folks now, they offer me a chair usually instead of having to sit on the floor, but I still have to take off my shoes. None of us have our shoes on in that picture. You can't tell. Um, But I'm going to honor that. And they might run down, especially in India, they'll run down to the little corner market, and they'll go buy a Coke. And, or they'll make you some chai. By the way, if you say chai tea, you're saying tea tea. Because <laughs> chai means tea. But anyway, they'll give you the shirts off their backs practically because they understand hospitality so much better than we do here in the U.S. So they'll give you that tea, even if they can barely afford it. They'll give you that Coca-Cola, and you just have to pray, Lord, if it goes down, keep it down. It's a good prayer. If it came out of a bottle or if it's been boiled, I figure, eh, okay, um, I got my typhoid shot, and let's see, I'll take some anti-worm medicine later on my way home. So it's all good. So, again, coming back to the role, it might look like balloon animals. It might look like just loving on people. Um, but there's other roles out there. Again, those organizations down there in the exhibit hall have all kinds of options for that. So you can be trainers, um, you can work for universities, you can work for humanitarian response. I think about Samaritan's Purse out there. They do lots of humanitarian response, and that can happen here in the U.S. or overseas. They set up field hospitals in 11 hours, and they're amazing. In fact, I think there's a display out there somewhere. Yeah, it's out. Which side are we on? I think it's out that way. (laughs) Yeah, so make sure you see that if you haven't. But... 
yes, you need those skills, but you also need to think about cross-culture. So this is kind of where I'm going to land the last little bit of our discussion. And thank you guys for bearing with me. I know this is a long session, but I um, tried to make it a little bit fun. There's that house I was talking about with the gal, the shaman up at the top of the stairs, rattling her stick at us as we were praying. Um, but it's all about culture. And I would, um, I had my students do a cross-culture uh, module this semester, and it was here in the U.S. That, that it's housed. And so in that module, they say every encounter can be a cross-cultural encounter. I don't have to travel across the world. So when I think about that, that person that lives next to me on my street, they have maybe different values and beliefs than I do. Even if they look similar to me, they could have different beliefs and values. I told you my background. I'm Jewish by background. Okay, what does a Jew look like? All kinds of things. Although I was teased when I was a kid. Your nose is too big. Your chin is blah, 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 whatever. I don't know what Jewish looks like because it looks like lots of different things. I had blonde relatives. Yeah. So... Interesting, though, when we think about culture, we can have every encounter that we have can be a cross-cultural encounter with a person. And then, of course, obviously, if you're going overseas, that can be a lot different. I love this diagram. We are very ethnocentric here in our culture. So ethnocentrism is this idea that my way is better than your way. And I can see you guys are reading and looking at um, the stereotypes that we have. Okay, well, I, like, remember me? I was never going to go to Asia, right? I said, I'm never going to Asia because they're all a bunch of communists. I just didn't have a heart for it, I guess, but the Lord changed my heart. Do we do this with our patients? We talked about frequent flyers, right? We do that with our patients, too. So we need to be careful that we are not ethnocentric in our thinking. All right, you guys done looking at it? Done pictures? I love it. It was online. I found it online, and I have the thing for it down below. See, there's some out there that are a little bit more raunchy and rough around the edges. This one was a clean one, so, yeah. All right. So what's also interesting, um, it was brought up earlier about this idea of shame and honor. So uh, many cultures, our culture is based on a innocence, guilt, right? You're innocent until proven guilty. That's our culture. But... In many Asian cultures and a lot of um, cultures that practice Islam, it's all about shame. And avoiding shame and staying honorable, that idea of I don't want to lose face. And so that would be the person, even here in the U.S., if you have a patient that is in this area of their background. Did you take your medicine and you're doing this to them? You're shaking your head up and down? Yes, I took my medicine. Did you really take your medicine? Is that the best uh, question And if I'm nodding my head, they're going to agree with me because they're not going to want to argue or lose face in front of me. And um, when you're in India, they do this. That's their yes. Or they're agreeing with you as you talk. When I come back from India, I start doing that again. Um, it's just an acknowledgement that you're talking. It isn't that they said yes. So we need to be very, very careful when we're working with people that are from different cultures. And then the animistic cultures believe that there's spirits everywhere, um, whether it's in um, trees, plants, rocks, rivers, and they live in fear. 
So that's where the gospel can, we can come in and say, I don't live in fear. God loves me so I can love others. Right? That's a great bridge. There's another great book um, called Eternity in Their Hearts and another one called Peace Child, actually, both of them by Don Richardson. And it talks about building that bridge between my culture and another culture and figuring out what is that one thing that's a bridge. And in the Peace Child, he talks about they offer their cannibalistic um, country at that time and they're killing each other off. But if they, one tribal group offers their child to the other tribal group in an exchange, then they won't war with each other and won't eat each other anymore either. And so they find that is the bridge. Jesus was the ultimate peace child. Great book. Anyway. So when you are working in those cross-cultural contexts, really is helpful to kind of think, what, co- what context am I living in if I'm going overseas? Or if I'm here in the U.S., what is the majority um, worldview, if you will, in this area where I'm working? And it all comes back to cultural humility and trying to understand how we show that honor and respect to other people. So I'll zoom to this is one of the best diagrams, I think, of cultural humility. So this is put out by InterVarsity. So you want to stay up in the green area when you're working cross-culturally and with any of your patients. You want to be open and accepting of everything. Um, not Now let me clarify that. So I might not condone a behavior, right? I might not agree with the choice that a person is making, but I can be open. And I'll use my son as an example. My son, the wild child, he went into the Marine Corps. He um, served his country. He did all kinds of stuff. He served overseas on missions as well. And, but he's made some lifestyle choices that I don't agree with. There's consequences for some of those lifestyle choices. But I can still love him in spite of those lifestyle choices and consequences that have occurred in his life. Same with my patient or that person in front of me. I might not like the choices that they're making, but I can love them. Right? That greatest commandment comes back to that. I can love the people that God puts in front of me no matter what. And when you're going cross-culturally, there's going to be cultural differences. When you look at that middle section, there might be some frustration. There's something called culture shock, which you could have a whole breakout session on. Actually, there is a breakout session on cultural humility. I think David Narita is doing that, so you might want to look for that. Um, But in that situation, there might be some confusion and misunderstanding. But if you can move past that and make good choices, again, toward the green of observing listening. We don't listen very well in our culture sometimes either. Um, Asking good questions. Then we're going to establish that rapport with our patients and not end up in broken relationships, especially for long term. If you're going short term, you're coming alongside whatever that ministry is that's going on. You're leaving again. You don't want to break any relationships while you're there. You want to maybe give that long term worker a shot in the arm of here we are to give you some energy, maybe relieve you a little bit but then we're going to leave, and that work needs to continue. So if you've come in and broken those relationships, we're in trouble. So part of that is worldview. So what I need, I need some volunteers to come down and play a little game. Who would like to come down and play a little game? I need some music. I need at least nine volunteers. 
Come on. Get up out of your seats. We're almost done. Get the blood moving. All right, you'll notice on the back of your handout, there are some world, there's a little chart, and it says, worldview based on um, Sire's information. Does God exist in this worldview, yes or no? So, in Christianity, does God exist? Yes. In Judaism? Yes. Islam? Yes. In some of those other ones? No. Now, when you get down to Hinduism, they have 300 million deities. When you talk about animism, there's a spirit living in every tree, bush, plant, or whatever, right? So when you think about that chart is there for you to kind of use as a guide. Thank you very much for volunteering. I need a couple more volunteers. Come on. And um, so what happened, what's a person? So looking at that chart, again, for those that have the little chart, are we created? So the first three on the list, Christianity, Islam, and um, Judaism were created beings. The rest of them, like naturalism, existentialism, were just a bunch of cells. So that's going to impact every decision that that patient ever makes. If they're a bunch of cells, then it doesn't matter. And then that ties into what happens to a person at death. Are we reincarnated? That would be Hinduism and Buddhism, right? Or do we go to heaven? What does that look like? How do we know what's right or wrong? Is there a book? So the first three um, are called people of the book. That would be Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So that's all for that right this minute. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these guys on the spot <laughs> a little bit. I'm going to give them a packet. And there's some um, worldviews up here. And in the packet, there are some fun little pictures. And we'll only spend about ten minutes because we're almost out of time here. Um, in the packet, there's some fun pictures. Which worldview do you think Mr. Chimpanzee should go in? Good job. Oh, my goodness. See, they're already on it. All right, so empty out your packet. Ready, set. Here, pa- take a packet and pass it down. And the worldviews are behind you and over there, and we'll kind of talk through what that looks like in just a minute. All right, cheer your, cheer your colleagues on. Go, team, Go. If anybody wants to come up and help them, you can. <laughs> you can you can work together. Yeah, help help your friend. Oh, she's in charge. <laughs> oh, dropping things on the floor. It's all good.
right, a couple more minutes. Your friends out here are cheering you on. Go, teens. Go. Yay. <laughs> I'll take the envelopes when you guys are done. Thank you. Thank you. There may be more than one location where the pictures can go. Just guess. Go for it. All right, we're wrapping up. I'll take those. If you didn't quite get them all, that's okay. We'll be mindful of you guys' time. Thank you. Because you know that all-important thing called lunch is coming up after this, right? And y'all are starving and been sitting so nicely. All right, it's all good. I'll take those. All right, thank you. I'll see what. No worries, you had a lot. Thank you. Okay, so I do actually do this activity with my students in class um, because I think it's kind of fun and it gets them out of their seats like you guys were brave enough to do. And so some of the things when we think about the different worldviews, if you're going into an area, if you're thinking about joining up with one of those organizations down the hall there, um, there's going to be a certain worldview in that area. So it's really helpful to understand what is the majority worldview. Now, there might be multiple worldviews in those areas. So, for example, in India, it, the majority are Hindu, but there's pockets of Islam. Even in Delhi, where we were serving, um, we would – so the Hindu uh, people group, most of them – uh, have those many, many deities. There's a couple pictures. This one comes to mind, and you guys can walk up and look at it later if you want. There's a bunch of deities on top of the temple, and when you walk by those temples, it's pretty interesting. We were going, again, prayer walking inside a temple, and um, I felt like the enemy was trying to c- close my mouth. And I said, uh-uh, not happening. My God is bigger than that. But there was a tangible feeling of the enemy trying to close my mouth. So being aware of that ahead of time, that the enemy is at work. The enemy doesn't want you to succeed. The enemy wants to neutralize you. The enemy wants to keep you from doing any of this and joining God's plan. Another time in that same country, we are trying to go into a mosque um, to just visit. Everybody else got to go in, and this one person at the door put his arm across me. You may not enter. Okay, I guess the Jesus spirit is working again. <laughs> it's all good. Another um, time in Mexico, when we think about that spiritual realm, and that's why I have some stuff out here about animism, you'll notice there's some cremation um, types of things. Again, you guys, as when we do clean, um, end up, if you want to walk by and look at some of these pictures up here of what I had for the different worldviews. We're in um, Mexico, and one of the gals, we had 500. I was camp nurse for 500 people, and one of the leaders, um, we were waiting in line for food, and she passed out. Although she didn't pass out. She started seizing. Okay, nurses going over to help out. My friend and I go over there. She's post-ictal, or so we thought. But at one point, she leaned up, and she looked at, at me, not my friend, 
in a man's voice said, don't touch me. Seriously? Okay, my God is bigger than that, and I'm just going to pray over you. turns out she wasn't a believer. The other leaders in that group were believers, but she wasn't, which was very apparent at that moment in time. So when we think about worldview, when we think about serving um, cross-culturally, it really is important to think about some of those things. So a biblical worldview, as we know, we've been talking about that. Um, This is from the Barna group. A lot of people in our current culture don't think this way, but God is all-powerful. The Bible is trustworthy. There is absolute moral truth. And Jesus lived that sinless life for us. Um, Satan is real. Uh, I've shared a few stories. Satan is real. And again, in our Western culture, we sometimes negate that. In other cultures, spirituality and spiritual things and demon possession and not to freak you out, it's real. Um, And sometimes it's not a medical problem, it's a spiritual problem that we need to address. But we need that discernment, right, to know the difference between the two. Here's some of the different belief systems, just in broad categories. Again, we could spend a whole session, a whole two-hour, three-hour session, just on what we were just doing these last few minutes. But our biomedical worldview here in the U.S. that you guys are all being trained in is there's cause and effect. If I have a patient that's in fluid overload, um, CHF, I'm going to give them some Lasix or something, right? If I pour in 1,000 liters, 1,000 liters better come out. And if it doesn't, something's wrong with the system, right? That's that biomedical view. Then we have the magical religious view where we have maybe balance. We have um, breaking the law of balances is going to create that illness and or disease. Then the animistic worldview that I've mentioned where spirits are going to be part of that and maybe we have to keep spirits um, happy. There's one of the, a couple pictures up here. I'll grab one real quick. I know you guys can't all see it from the back, but this is a picture of a spirit house. So in many places around the world, they'll have a spirit house. They could even have it here um, in some places that you might have visited. Have you seen little offering places in eating establishments and or in someone's home, right? Those are some kind of a spirit house where they're offering um, money, food, or what have you to keep the spirits happy and or ancestors. So when it talks about in scripture about tearing down strongholds and strongholds being on high places, often there are these types of spiritual strongholds. There can be bigger. Um, In Thailand, for example, and other places too, the uh, temples are built on the highest peak possible. When we drive through Thailand, you go up over the mountains, because I go usually up toward the north, toward the hill country, and in the hill country, you'll see these spirit houses on the high places as we're driving by, and the drivers that are not believers that we have with us, they honk their horns, and it's to, um, it's to wake up the spirit and say, hey, I'm good, you know, bless me, whatever their tradition might be. But God tells us to break down those strongholds on high places. It's all throughout the Old Testament. Again, we could spend hours and hours we don't have on this particular um, topic as well. We, in Western culture, tend to focus on what we can see, what we can touch, the five senses, that naturalistic worldview that was one of the worldviews over here. When in reality, miracles happen. I told you about the bleeding woman, and she was healed. I have a friend of mine... um, who is down at another booth, and he said there was a gal that had a fractured femur. They prayed over her, and it was healed. So there's amazing stories. Everybody out there could tell you some amazing stories of the unseen 
that vision, somebody getting off a plane and saying, I was waiting for somebody getting off a plane dressed in white, and that's you. What? God speaks to us in different ways. So I think I started out at the beginning saying we need to do a lot of self-reflection. Those of you that got the handout, and I'll upload it onto the website, because I don't think I did yet, if you're interested. And if that, the PowerPoint's not there, that should be uploaded as well. Um, but we need to reflect, okay, who am I? Where am I in God's journey on this um, drawing, this <laughs> rudimentary drawing? And where am I supposed to be headed? And what does God want me to do? Wherever you end up, God will use you. All your amazing gifts and talents. But it takes the right head. You have to have that Bible knowledge. You need to know those Bible stories. We needed to know that story of the bleeding woman. And we need to have the right heart that comes from Jesus. And be willing to do stuff and get dirty. And did you notice in that 1040 window, most of those places are hot and sweaty. Like really hot. I've been some super hot places. Man, hotter than Georgia or wherever in the south that you might be from. Right? It's hotter. Trust me. So here's the strategies that the IMB and other um, organizations use. It's called uh, the ABCs. We can get access because we're healthcare providers. We can get behind closed doors. We can care for the needy, make those disciples, and, and get that church nice and healthy. We get to do that. Isn't that awesome? All of us as believers, but as healthcare providers, we even have an extra little tool in our toolbox, if you will. I love this verse. Um, by the way, those feet are the, some of the dirtiest feet I've seen in the world or overseas. Um, when Jesus washed those dirty feet, they were dirty feet. This was the gentleman that ended up dying with the maggots. Um, but what do we get to do? We get to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. So you're here. You're going to explore, if you haven't already, some short-term, long-term and um, whatever that might look like, and we can talk more after, or you can go and talk to those organizations. They're amazing, and they have all kinds of resources for you. You can volunteer. That's more short-term, if you will, if you don't think, I'm not sure if I want to go long-term yet. Um, You can do these types of things. I mentioned these earlier. It can be clinical. It can be academic. That's what I'm doing lately, Um, Disaster Relief with Samaritan's Purse or other organizations, or that community development where you go in and find out using a 10-seed method and something to write on. It might be that you're writing in the sand. It just depends on where you are as to what that might look like. And then anything that you're going to do, you need to partner with the local church um, because they're the ones that are still going to be there after you leave. And that village in the town is called Bakam that we went to that was nine um, miles in. We can now, they've widened the road, and we can drive one way in now in a vehicle that we didn't used to be able to do that. This is that egg project that I was telling you about, that we brought that in because that's what they wanted. And they have now taken the gospel to that next village 10 miles down the road. That wasn't us. That was totally the Lord, right? Did it have anything to do with nursing? It was holistic care. So your tools in your toolbox, know those stories, show his grace. Remember for that we have that cross-cultural context, again, wherever you are, whether it's Jerusalem or the ends of the earth. And we can be that bridge. Just do it. Right? Just like Nike says. That was in Bangladesh this last summer. Isn't that fun? Don't you want to go there? Yeah. We're all on the same mission. We're there to love. 
So, and we have that power and authority that I talked about, and we have that purpose. Again, referring to the little funky diagram I tried to draw behind me, but we all get to be part of that plan. I think I might have given you some of these verses. If I didn't, um, these are some other uh, verses to look at as far as how his word goes out. I think maybe one or two of them were shared earlier today. We, you, are the sent ones. Yeah, me and the Pete's nurse. That little one's cute. Jesus sent them out. He's sending you guys out from this conference. You know, it's easy to come to a conference and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do stuff. And then nothing happened. Don't let that happen. God's calling you. Don't be like me. Don't run the other way. Don't be like Jonah. Listen to that still small voice. Because we get to do life together. I like this from David Sills. We need guides who can train trainers, teach teachers, and disciple disciplers. Who's your Timothy going to be? Those of you that are young are like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. There's going to be a Timothy that you're going to pour into. Who is that going to be? Who's poured into you? Because as was shared this morning, this is our ultimate goal. All tribes, tongues, nations, languages, worshiping at the throne. Praise the Lord. Hosanna. I haven't really left any time for questions, but if you have questions, it's lunchtime. So, anybody have any questions, comments? You guys are awesome. Thank you.